This morning, as we look at these uh, 18 verses, we're going to be talking about, uh, on some level, about perfection. And when we think about perfection, uh, if you listen to pop music, which I do periodically listen to pop music, also love to listen to country music, Um, those are my two genres. Also, I love 90s alternative. that has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but if you're just wondering who am I musically, this is kind of a, a, a picture into that. Uh, but a lot of pop music touches on this idea of perfection because there's something inside of us. We long for someone to look at us and say, man, you're perfect. And we know ourselves. We know, like, that can't be true. But, man, it would be great if someone would say to me, you're perfect. Like, Ed Sheeran has a song titled Perfect. And this is one of the, the verses from that song. He says, I'm dancing in the dark with you between my arms, barefoot on the grass, listening to our favorite song. When you said you looked a mess, I whispered underneath my breath, but you heard it. Darling, you look perfect tonight. Which I think has a little bit of an Eric Clapton vibe to it as well, so maybe a copyright issue there. But uh, John Legend in his song, All of Me, he says, because all of me loves all of you, loved your curves and all your edges, all your perfect imperfections. We'd love for someone to tell us, like, everything that's wrong with you is perfect, even though it's wrong. And then my favorite is Ron Pope's song. I don't know if you know this song. I love this song. It's called Perfect For Me. He says, I know you too well to say you're perfect, but you'll see, oh, my sweet love, you're perfect for me. That's probably the closest to actually being able to say something that feels almost genuine, even though it still is not really true, right? Because no one is perfect, and no one is perfect for anyone else. Like, we lack perfection. I mean, we long for someone to tell us that we're okay, that we are perfect. But even when they do, we don't believe them because we know ourselves. So this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus, what we're going to be talking about is the fact that God says to you, you are perfect. But in the same breath, he says, but you're also in process. You're perfect, but you're also in process because in some sense, you're both perfect and still being perfected. Or the language that the author is going to use is, hey, you have been sanctified, but you're also being sanctified. There's a tension there, but it's a beautiful tension for us that we want to see in our text. So if you will, turn to page 1006, and I'll read for us. This is Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 18. The author says, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities... It can never by the same sacrifice, sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every high priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. 
But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Lord Jesus, thanks for some time for us to spend just reflecting on what your sacrifice means for us, what it's achieved for us, and and what it's currently doing in us. We pray that you'll make us good students, spirit of this inerrant word. Uh, We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So the two things we're going to talk about this morning are that you, if you're a follower of Jesus, are already perfect, and you're also in process. You're already sanctified, but you are currently still being sanctified. We're going to talk about that tension, but the the foundation for that is what we've been talking about for weeks, and so I just want to summarize here this, these 18 verses. In verses 1 through 4, yet again the author's telling us, hey, the old sacrificial system cannot save you. Don't go back to an old system that can't save you. Verse 4 sums it up, for it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. The old system cannot save you. It points to the new, to the new covenant in Jesus' blood. And then verses 5 through 10, this is yet again reiterating that Jesus alone can save us because he offered himself once for all, and then he sat down at the right hand of the Father. He gave himself as the ultimate sacrifice that could perfect us. And that was his purpose all along. It tells us in verse 10, and by that will, the will of the Father to send the Son and the will of the Son to be that sacrifice, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. In verses 11 through 14, we're, we're, we're told, told again, like, hey, it's done. It's finished. That's where it shows up that Jesus says that he sits down at the right hand. It's a completed sacrifice. There doesn't need to be any more sacrifices. We have been perfected for all time. It says in verse 14, by that single offering of Jesus, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And then in verses 15 through 18, because of Jesus' full and forever sacrifice, that once-for-all sacrifice for us, we can have a confidence that our sins are truly forgiven, that we are welcomed to the presence, into the presence of God, our Father, because we are truly forgiven. That's what it says in verse 18, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. There is no more offering for sin because forgiveness has been achieved for you and me. That's the beauty of what Jesus has accomplished for us on the cross, And what he has accomplished on the cross is the foundation for us as we think about this tension that God has already made you perfect, but he is still leading you through the process of being perfected, of being sanctified. So first, knowing that you are perfect, all right, let's look at verse 10 together. The author says, and by by that will, the will of Jesus and the Father, we have been sanctified Complete stop there. Through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all, we have been sanctified. It is already completed. We see that same thing in verse 14 where we're told that by a single offering, he has perfected. It's done. It's complete. So this is a truth that we need to take hold of, a truth that says, hey, you need to be perfect. You need to be sinless. 
The whole, whole old system, verses 1 through 4, highlights this for us all over again. If you're going to have a restored relationship with the Lord, if you're going to be welcome in His presence, you've got to be perfected, right? You've got to be, that's verse 1, you've got to be perfected. Verse 2, you've got to be cleansed. Verse 4, you have to have your sins taken away. Like, that's the only way you can be close to the Lord is to be perfectly clean and sinless. And you and I feel the dissonance because we look at ourselves and we're like, well, I'm out. That does not apply to me. There's nothing perfect, clean, or sinless about me. But then there's more truth for us, that because of what Jesus has done for us, we're already declared perfect. We're already declared sanctified because of what Jesus has done. And that's in the covenantal sense, meaning that when God looks on us, He sees us having already been redeemed because the payment has already been made for us. Everything that has defiled us has already been paid for. When He looks at us, He sees us perfected. And this idea of being perfected, sanctified, cleansed, it's, it's being made complete, being made genuine, being made holy, being made pure. This is that imagery. Now, do you and I understand this? Do we understand that when God sees us, He does not see us as damaged goods? Like when God looks at you, He knows your whole story, but it's a story of Him working your cleansing, your salvation. So when he looks at you, you're not damaged goods. You're not repulsive to him. You're not dirty to him. You're not disappointing to him. You're not unwanted by him. You're not unwelcomed by him. He looks at you and he says to you, you're perfect because he's made you perfect, because he's purchased you. Like when your father looks at you, he sees you and says to you, I know your story and you're perfect. Those words we long to hear are the words that He speaks over us. Everything that defiled us has been paid for. It's no longer the sum of who we are. It's not the tagline of our story. I think some of, sometimes you and I walk around, and we feel like we walk around with our own biography right there in front of us. And uh, there's a bi- biography on Hitler called Hitler, the biography of evil, which is probably a good tagline, right? There's another one for Hitler and Stalin, and their tagline is, uh, what was it? It was uh, predatory leadership. I'm like, yeah, that sounds about right. I think you and I walk around and we're like, I know my tagline. My tagline, it may not be the biography of evil, but it's a train wreck. It's a, it's a tagline of shame. It's a tagline of feeling inadequate. It's a tagline that, that we sort of drag along with us thinking that our story, the theme of our story, will never be one that's beautiful, never be one that's perfect. And we're being told here, now your tagline is perfected child of God. That's who you are. You've been declared and made perfect. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and quote one of the popes, just for good measure. Pope John Paul II said this, we are not the sum of our weaknesses and failures. We are the sum of the Father's love for us. We are not the sum of our weaknesses and failures. We are the sum of the Father's love for us. That's why he can say to you and me, you're perfect, because he's made us perfect. And if you believe that when God looks at you, his child, and he feels something other than love and desire for you, I want you to know that that feeling of shame and inadequacy, that feeling emanates from your brain, not his. In your head, you will never be enough. In his head, you are perfect and loved because the one who was enough came and rescued you. Like he looks at you and he says to you, you're perfect. Now, as we think about some implications for that, you know, Jesus' self-sacrifice on the cross once for all to pay for our sins, like, 
I want us to remember that that was God's plan from the beginning. He intended for Jesus to come and to rescue us. And so, he's not duping himself. He knows what a mess we are, but he looks at us, and instead of seeing us as sin-broken rebels, he looks at us and he sees us as his broken children. And what parent doesn't look at a broken child and long for wholeness for them instead of heaping shame on them? Like, our Father knows what a mess we are, but we are still his children. And so, when he looks at us, he says, you are my child, and in that sense, you're perfect because you've been welcomed into my family. Now let's go about cleaning up this giant mess that is damaging all of your experiences, all of your relationships. Because there is a process for us, but the process begins on the other side of us being welcomed into family. The process doesn't make us family. The process is the loving process that our Father leads us through to heal us once we've been made family. And so the fact that you and I have been perfected means that we're free. We're free from shame. We're free from feeling like a failure. We're free from fear. We're free from feeling like we'll never do enough or be enough because we are fully known and fully loved. When God says you've been perfected and sanctified, it's him saying to you, to you, you are welcome with me because I love you. He's not going to leave us the way that we are, but the first thing we have to know is that we're already perfect. In his eyes, we're already perfect. Because we are who he says that we are. And now we get to go through the process of living that kind of freedom life. And that's why we're still in process. We're still being sanctified, as it says in verse 14. For by a single offering, Jesus has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. You and I are still in process. Verses 10 and 14, this idea of having been sanctified and being sanctified, like in the Greek, these are passive words which is why we translate them passively in the English, meaning that it's not something that we do, it's something that's done to or for us. Meaning that our sanctification, the process that you and I are in as family members of God, is still very much in the space where he's doing the work. God is doing the work not only of declaring us perfect, but of perfecting us as well. So a few takeaways as we think about the fact that we're still in process I want you to to find some freedom in knowing that who you are and what you are right now and what your life looks like right now may be in dissonance. Who you are is a perfect child of God if you're a follower of Jesus. Your lifestyle may not match who you are because there's a process of redeeming your lifestyle, redeeming you out of the slavery where you once were. But that process is the process of a child coming to realize their place in the family. Your sin no longer separates you ultimately from God, but God is growing in you a sensitivity and a hatred for the things that he hates, the things that enslave you. So you may actually wrestle more with shame during your walk with Jesus, not because he wants you to feel shame, but because you have a growing sense of how awful sin is. I don't sit in that shame but I want you to be prepared. You may feel more shame, and then you're going to have to be reminded that Jesus has already taken that shame. But a growing sensitivity to your sin is a work of that process, like growing to hate the things that God hates. And you and I are free, and God is leading us into this deeper experience of that freedom. So when you look at your life, and you're confronted with like just the mess that our lives are, I want you to remember that your record is not what determines your status. But there is still good news, and that means that whatever the mess is that you're living in, 
God steps into that mess, and he brings redemption there too. You don't have to clean your life up to be acceptable to him. He has accepted you and welcomed you, and he wants to partner with you in cleaning up your life. Because your life, all the mess of your life, is robbing you of joy and rest and peace. And he wants those things for you. And so the process is him coming alongside you. You and I are in God's family, and and he's working in us to more and more resemble who he's made us. And that's sometimes going to be a painful process. That's because we hold on to our idols pretty tightly. And we have some really bad rhythms that we've allowed to sit in our lives for a long time. And for God to lovingly rip those things out, that's not going to be pleasant. But I don't want you to have that shake your sense of your loved status with him. Feeling conviction over your sin is the feeling of knowing that you're loved. We just don't always acknowledge it as that. Only those who God loves feel conviction over their sin. Everybody feels bad about consequences. Everybody feels bad when they get caught. Not everyone feels broken over their sin. When you feel broken over your sin, it's because you're loved. It's the only reason that you feel that. And so, kind of in closing this morning, I want us to, I want us to understand that if we want to have a more sanctified life, if you want your life to look more like who you actually are, you have to start by remembering whose family you're already in. I know these two young men, um, and these two young men have very different stories. One, one started to work at a place, uh, not a local place, a place where he lived prior to living here. Uh, he's a young man. His, he got this job. He, he told them when he was interviewed, hey, I don't know how to do some of these things you're going to ask me to do, but I would love to learn to do them. And they hired him to do them, right? They hired him to, to work maintenance for their company, and he wanted to learn. So they told him to go fix this, go install that, and go fix this other thing. He didn't know how to do it, and so he kept having to ask for help, and they kept having to bring in people to help him. After a few weeks of this, they fired him because he couldn't do the job. And he's left wondering, like, I told you, I didn't know how to do the job. I wanted to learn to do the job. And they're like, well, that's too bad. We need somebody who can do the job. This other friend of mine, he works for his dad, and he doesn't really know how to do the job either. It's a different job. And he shares with me how he screws things up, messes things up, and how patient his dad is with him, and how his dad helps him learn through that process. One of these men is terrified in a job that he'll lose it, because he's got a new job now, and he's worried that there'll be something he doesn't know how to do, and he'll be fired again. And then there's this other young man, and he sleeps well at night, because when he wakes up, he's going to go to the same office where his dad is, and his dad's going to help him learn how to do the family business. You and I are learning how to live as family members of God. We are in process, and he is incredibly patient. So I want you to know that when God looks at you, you're perfect to him. And he loves you so much, he's going to make your life look more like what he's made you to be. Father, thanks so much for some time for us to think about these truths. I thank you so much that we have opportunity to think about being perfect, how you see us as perfect. It feels almost uncomfortable. It feels almost like it shouldn't be said. It seems too big. And yet you tell us right here in Hebrews that, Jesus, you perfected us, and we're still in process. We thank you that your patience with us is the patience of a father. We thank you that you are walking through this life with us, 
because you intend for us to live with more freedom because we're your kids. And so we pray as you lead us into that, and it's painful for us at times, that we will remember that the only reason you walk us through that painful process is because you love us. And for those of us this morning who just struggle to believe that you could possibly love us, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you will grab us by the collar, put us in front of the face of our Father, and comfort and confront us. It's in your name that we pray, Jesus. Amen. Will you stand with me? We'll sing.